Do you find yourself avoiding scary feelings? Are you running away from things you don't want to face? How are you facing your fears today? Welcome to episode 362 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Roberta, Desiree, Amanda, Jennifer, Holly, and Margaret. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Roberta, Desiree, Amanda, Jennifer, Holly, and Margaret for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer. I'm your host today, and joining me today are Kathy and Saba. Welcome, both of you. Thank you, Spencer. You brought us a couple of readings, Kathy. I did. First, I have Courage to Change on March 10th. Part of my recovery has involved reversing some old ways of thinking. It had been my habit to avoid painful feelings and situations, to play it safe, and keep away from risk. But life involves one risk after another, and some pain is unavoidable. Alanon helps me to accept what is. Instead of running away, I am learning to look at the source of my distress. As a result, I find that pain passes much more quickly, and what I gain is freedom from fear. Alanon gives me tools such as the four-step inventory with which I can take an honest look at myself and my situation. A supportive sponsor, my higher power, the serenity prayer, and many Alanon meetings help me to find the courage to deal with fear, pain, and risk. When I was avoiding taking risks, and I added my own note, and avoiding scary feelings, fear was always with me, just over my shoulder. Now I go through it and come out the other side, often unscathed. I no longer have to keep a constant watch for potential dangers. Instead, I can occupy myself with living. Today's reminder, wonderful things can happen today because I welcome the thrill of participating in my own life. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing by Helen Keller. I think I see how that reading relates to the the topic of avoidance, running away from scary feelings. It's it's right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is. And your second reading? The second one is from the Al-Anon book, Discovering Choices, and it's pieces of the reading between pages 75 and 77. It's a little long, but I really like it. I edited it down a lot (laughs) to just the core. As we recover from the effects of alcoholism, we begin to notice that our feelings provide information that can help guide our actions, regardless of how we judge those feelings. Feelings are not positive or negative. It is our reactions to them that make us consider them so. When we pay attention to the particular feelings we have, we can begin to learn from them and bring our attention back to the simplicity of the present moment. Often there are more possibilities available to us than we immediately recognize, and our perception of the facts may be only a partial view. If we can begin to recognize that our feelings at any one moment may not be the final answer, we are better able to accept them as a source of useful information that could lead us in a positive direction. We don't have to avoid our feelings. Instead, we can let them teach us more about ourselves. 
That's a key phrase there. Many of us are afraid that the past will repeat itself. We base future expectations on our difficult past experiences. This belief can be a great source of pessimism and anxiety for us, even though we're not really in any position to know for sure what the future will bring. Only a higher power could know that. Our certainty that a negative past will repeat itself, however, can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. How we react to our feelings is ultimately a choice. If we choose, we can find ways to fill our moments with comfort, joy, and serenity. We can find a different way to look at ourselves and others, leaving behind fears that once seemed insurmountable. It may take time to focus our efforts and attention on what we can change instead of what we can't. With help and guidance, however, we can see that first, that positive developments are possible, and second, that there are many ways to learn how to make this possibility a reality in our lives. Growth often occurs in the quiet space between what has been and what is yet to come. When we start to listen, it becomes less tempting to fall into old patterns. Some of us begin to turn our attention to a power greater than ourselves and begin to trust that this power will guide us. This trust requires us to accept that we don't always know what is best for us or what will happen next. Today, we can allow solutions to unfold in their own ways without our interference. We can focus on growing strong and healthy each day. By keeping our focus only on what we can do today, we don't need to worry about how long it will take to achieve our goals. As we get to know ourselves better, we begin to establish our own healthy roots. We learn how to grow around our fears and challenges. And I also inserted my own thoughts here. And I would add either and complement our fears and challenges or and find balance with our fears and challenges. We receive the tools necessary to grow stronger and more confident, standing a little taller each day. Life can be a journey to be enjoyed day by day. I like the way that that reading brings us to some solutions. It's all about solution, really. Feelings provide information. They're not positive or negative. Learn from them. This, I I highlighted here, growth often occurs in the quiet space between what has been and what is yet to come. I know before recovery, I didn't have any quiet spaces. So to get to that quiet space took a while, took some work. You brought us some definitions, and I'm, I'm curious, why pause? So pause is a positive tool that might feel a little bit like avoidance because it is stopping, but it's stopping in a healthy way. And I use it when I start to feel uncomfortable or I need to think about something, I can pause, whether that's in an interaction with another person or in a thought that I have, if I'm starting to go down a path that's maybe not the healthiest one. So it's temporary to me. And avoidance is like running in the other direction. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I like what you said about how pause is different from avoidance in that it's give me a moment to think, give me some time to decide what is actually my best course here. I'm not saying, although sometimes it's received as I'm not going to do this thing. I'm not going to engage in this activity, but what it's really saying is at least for me, And this is something, again, that I had to learn. I don't know. Why don't they teach these skills in school? The skill of being able to say, wait, I need a minute. Yeah, agreed. Actually, in my daughter's elementary school, they had something like that. 
he had this frog with these concepts and it was great to see. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to hear it. It's also possible that somebody tried to teach that to me and I wasn't ready to hear it, but I don't think so. Huh. Wow. Where do you want to start? Should we do some definitions? Sure. So pause, the definition from Google is to interrupt action or speech briefly. A pause is a short period when you stop doing something before continuing. And that's from Collins English Dictionary. With the synonyms of stop, cease, halt, and discontinue. And then avoidance, an act or practice of avoiding or withdrawing from something. And that's from Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And synonyms of dodge, retreat, flight, escape, and sidestep. Yeah. Or running away. Yes, exactly. And that's the one that I like best (laughs) that I can relate to the most. Oh, and that just feels so familiar to me. I was trying to think of, it's not normal, it's but it's familiar. It's a very familiar feeling like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to go away and pretend that it's not there. I have a, a few brainy quotes. One from Mahatma Gandhi, a no uttered from the deepest conviction is better than a yes, merely uttered to please or worse to avoid trouble. And then another one that I really like is from Alanis Morissette, who's a singer. When I was younger, I was terrified to express anger because it would often kickstart a horrible reaction in the men in my life. So I bit my tongue. I was left to painstakingly deal with the aftermath of my avoidance later in life in therapy or through the lyrics of my songs. And she's got some songs Mm -hmm. that uh, really speak to that, I think. I think one of the ones we used a few weeks ago. We did. Yep, you're right. (laughs) Yeah. Was that with you? Yep. Okay. Yep. When I saw that quote from her, I was like, oh, look, that's a good fit. (laughs) I can relate to her music. So what's your backstory? Why did this topic come up for you? This topic came about actually as a result of doing the first podcast that I did with you on accepting unacceptable behavior and domestic violence. There was a situation during that podcast where there were three emails that were sent by listeners. And I read the second one. And as I was reading it, this anxiety just started to take over my body. It was a really deep dive for me to go through to prepare for that podcast. And I felt really strongly that it was important and I needed to do it. And it was very healthy for me. But reading that email, for some reason, it just brought all this anxiety to me. And I recognized it in my body. And I, in the past, I didn't have a connection between what my body was doing and the associated feelings, but now I do from recovery. So my stomach started to get tightened. I was like all getting hunched over and my breathing was getting shallow and I recognized it and I like sat up and did some deep breathing and then I was fine. And I told my sponsor about it and she was like, okay, it's time to dig into that and figure it out. You need to lead on that subject. And so I led a meeting with it and it went really well and got a lot of good feedback. And so then it's okay. So maybe this is a good topic for a podcast. Excellent. And your sponsor doing her job there. Yes. (laughs) I have a great sponsor. (laughs) Oh, what's going on there? Maybe it's time to do some inventory. Mm -hmm. Your sponsor is sitting here with us. I don't know if you want to enlarge on that at all, Saba. Yes, because I relate to so much with her and avoiding our feelings. And I used to be running away from it. But I learned throughout my recovery that God gave me all these feelings. And it may not be facts, but it is God given. 
And it's okay to be in pain. It's okay to sit in it. And I don't have to run, do anything. And that's the beauty of it. Before in the past, I would be either a fight, freeze, or avoidance or running away and numbing myself and not trying to figure out. But now I know that each feelings are teaching me a lesson about myself. I was so happy that this happened during while we were talking on the Zoom meeting and sharing. It happens to me often. I realize that I don't run away from it anymore. And as bad as it seems like it, I have to be in acceptance of unacceptable feeling that it comes to me. And it's teaching me to get deeper to the root of the cause. Usually if it's uncomfortable feeling, I have to identify because of my codependency skills that I <laughs> learned from upbringing that I was assigned a feeling to me and I didn't even realize that if my mom was angry, I was angry. If somebody was happy, I was happy or vice versa. And I always felt responsible to make people, either I felt like I'm responsible to make other people happy or I caused the problem. So once I realized when this feeling comes, is it mine? First of all, I have to identify my pain or if it belongs to me or other person. So by acknowledging the feeling is mine, then I can deal with it and I can be mature about it. And that's part of maturity list in Al-Anon that when I learn that it's okay, I don't have to run away from it. I use halt, let's say, if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So I would do something about it. If it's emotionally I'm hungry, I reach out and fulfill that with my higher power and with something that is missing in me. And I don't run to another person to fulfill that part of me and thinking that is a quick fix. I can do it. Lonely, I can again reach out to a program, friends in the program, or talking it over with my sponsor or go to a meeting. And I'm tired. I have to see if I'm exhausting my <laughs> battery and running and trying to fix somebody else's life. And I exhaust my emotional, I'm emotionally tired, basically, usually it's like that. And then physically, it runs me down. So HALT is a very good tool for me. So I just use the tools of the program. So I pause and basically stay in uncomfortable feelings to teach me where my next indicated God's plan is and I have to quiet my mind and stay in the feeling and then I go deeper and deeper until I I am comfortable with it and I say okay now once I acknowledge it and I'm not running away from it it usually disappears it disappears for me and it gives me the the lesson that I need to know I heard so much in that. I'm going to try to 
unpack a little bit of what I remember. One of the images, one of the things you said was emotionally hungry. I don't know if I've ever thought of that idea of emotional hunger, but I definitely have felt it. When you named it, it was like, oh, I know what that feels like. There have been times in my life, there have been times in my recovery when I was emotionally hungry and not recognizing it. And usually that led to not the best outcome. The pause and sitting with the feeling, and this comes back to where we were talking about pause versus avoid, that pause, we stay there. I stay with the feeling. You stay with the feeling and dig in and try to understand it so that you can learn and grow. That's not easy. One of the things that that I noticed after having been in Al-Anon for a while was that I was able, maybe again, I probably at some earlier point in my life was able to name my feelings. But there was definitely a time when I couldn't have said what I was feeling. And probably that has something to do with all the all of the anger and anxiety and fear and stuff that was roiling around in me. It was just covering the other stuff up. But you're talking some hard stuff here, but important, and we can do it. We learn with the support of the other people in the program to do it, right? With the support of our higher power. To, to sit in that uncomfortable feeling. I'm going to have to listen to what you said again, <laughs> because I know there's more in there that I did not pull up. Kathy, I want to say with the that episode that we did, I have received, and I try to forward it to you. I don't know if I forwarded it at all. So much thank you for doing that. So much gratitude that you had the courage to talk about that because clearly people are identifying with it. So thank you for that. And thank you for doing the the pushing through because I was not aware that was happening at the time. (laughs) I'm glad. (laughs) That's good news. We were on Zoom, not in person, but still. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Maybe if you'd been sitting across the the desk from me, I would have. Exactly. I'm really glad that it, that the other podcast helped, helped people. That was my goal. That was the message that I got from my higher power, that it was the right thing to do to help others. So glad that was true. Have you had some experience with avoiding scary feelings. What did that look like? Yeah. So as I was digging through the topic, at first I'm like, okay, so I must have done this at other times. When have I done it? And initially, like silence, nothing. I'm like, oh, must not have ever happened. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's not true. <laughs> but it's my my feelings are so carefully packed away, like deep down inside me from my childhood, that it's almost like I have to take an elevator to drop down to them. A very slow elevator, actually. <laughs> like, all right, patiently, we're going to tap in. And yeah, and there it is. Okay. And that's a lot of them. Because they've been packed away for so long, I had identified at some point in my life, that those things are not something that's healthy for me to dig in. Like it's better to just move on (laughs) and Mm -hmm. focus on other things. So it goes against the grain for me to process those and to feel those. It raises my anxiety and I start to feel overwhelmed and I pop right into that childhood place of protecting myself. So I just want to put 
the uncomfortableness on a shelf and deal with it later. And I'm also an excellent procrastinator. <laughs> so that, yeah. question here, does deal with it later? Does the later ever come? <laughs> it's like an echo chamber. Does it ever come? Does it ever come? Does it ever come? Sometimes my tendency is to be the total procrastinator and that I just continue to put it off until it becomes huge and it just raises my anxiety because I know it's waiting for me. And then my stress goes up and then none of it's healthy and none of it leads to serenity. So for me, that's like an ongoing work in progress. I'm still going through my steps four and five and absolutely procrastination is one of the things. Yeah, I'm sure that Saba is helping you with the searching and fearless part of that. Yeah. Oh, I just think about a situation that happened a few years ago. I had some surgery and then I got a letter from the insurance company that they weren't going to pay for it because we hadn't dotted certain I's or crossed certain T's. I just, as you say, I took that and I put it on a shelf and every now and then it would raise its head and say, I'm still here. I'm still here. You haven't done anything. And I finally called them and, you know, calling the insurance company, takes some doing even when it's not about some major thing because you're on hold for however long and listening to their stupid hold music. And then the person you talk to can't fix the thing and you got to talk to somebody else and so on. And so I finally called them and they said, I got this letter and this is what it says. And I want to know what I need to do. And it took a while. They were like, I don't see this thing. And finally they were like, oh yeah, we paid that a long time ago. Because I guess what I had gotten was really a copy of a letter they had sent to my doctor to say, you need to supply us this information, but I never heard from anybody that it had been supplied. And so I kept it on my shelf because I didn't want to deal with it. I was avoiding dealing with it. I was procrastinating, if you want to call it that, but I was avoiding it. Literally, I was avoiding it. And every now and then it would pop up and I'd shove it back down and Till it got to the point where I was going to be out thousands of dollars if we didn't deal with this. And it turned out it had already been dealt with. And I could have had a lot more peace of mind, a lot less worrying if I hadn't been pushing it away. Exactly. I can very much relate. Yeah. So tools. Yeah. So tools that I have now in my in my recovery pocket. When I access my feelings and I work through them, it's building that muscle memory so that it'll continue to be easier for me over time. And pause is a great tool just so I can not stress about it, breathe, and then think about a positive way to deal with things. Try not to avoid it. Try not to procrastinate about it. Yeah. So pause is a plus. Avoid a procrastinator minuses. Right. Yeah. So what sort of things are, are you avoiding? Yeah. So it's funny. Even this morning, uh, I live near an area that's near an open field and there's like a bunch of wildlife that runs around and eats my tomato plants. But this morning I woke up and I heard this noise in the attic and we've had a rat in the house before that got in through an open door. And I was like, Oh no, it's like woke up at 7am from this weird noise. And I just wanted to hide. I wanted to put a pillow over my head and just, Oh, maybe I can just, <laughs> okay. yes. Yes. no, I need to do something about it. Okay. So it was that gut reaction of, Oh, I just want to go hide. It's something uncomfortable. And <laughs> What was it? I don't know. Oh. I have no idea. But yeah, I took some steps this morning to 
to get an exterminator to come out and take a look at what it is. And I've never heard it before. Maybe something's starting to make a nest in the attic, but it's time to do something now before like there's a whole family of whatever it is in my attic. <laughs> Good point. And there's a metaphor in there about feelings and how they multiply if you don't deal with them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I've been in Al-Anon for a little more than four years now. And about two years in, I started my four-step and life was in session and I got overwhelmed and I put it on the shelf for a good year and a half, maybe longer. And you could say that that's just the journey that I need to have. But it, it did make me feel a little uncomfortable that I was postponing it. And I knew that it was going to be good for me once I got back into it. But here I am. I'm in it now. So that's one example. Definitely before Al-Anon, one of my examples of avoidance and denial was accepting unacceptable behavior. I mean, there's more to it than that. I didn't have boundaries and other things, but it's definitely related. And things like big, scary tasks, like I'm in the process of getting divorced and I need to change my living trust. Right now, my almost ex is still my health directive person, which that's not good. He's not a good person to decide if, if somebody should be pulling the plug. So <laughs> I'm almost done with that. But that's another thing where it's, oh God, it's all this legal stuff. Yeah. Important. Yeah. Our will was written when our children were little. Wills, I guess I should say, we each have one. And has not been updated, even though the children are now 30. And it still has instructions about who will take care of them. Just because, yeah, it's a big, scary thing. But yeah, it's got to get done. When Saba was talking, it, it, you talked about feeling other people's feelings. I identified with that, but at the same time, I think a lot of it was other people's feelings scared me. I didn't want other people having, quotes, bad feelings. Uh, so I don't know if it's so much that I felt their feeling exactly, but I didn't like the feeling I had when people were sad or angry or upset. I wanted it to go away. And that's my codependency. I liked it when people were happy and satisfied. So I would do whatever it took to try to make that happen. And of course, as we know, we really can't make other people feel something. Kathy, you sent us an article from Very Well Mind, which I guess is a website about avoidance coping is avoidance coping. That's like using avoidance as a coping mechanism. Is that what that means? Yeah. Avoidance coping as opposed to more healthy coping mechanisms. And I love this, this little header here. How to avoid avoidance coping. <laughs> Wait, my brain exploded. Is that something you want to dig into a little bit here? Or? Sure. So it was an article that I came across doing research, and it's a really interesting website, actually. It has a lot of, of good information in it on lots of topics. So some points from this, from the avoiding avoidance coping. So avoidance coping involves trying to avoid stressors rather than dealing with them, which is what we've been talking about. Avoiding stress might seem like a great way to become less stressed, but this isn't necessarily the case. More often than not, confronting a problem or dealing with the stressor is the only way to effectively reduce the stress it causes. But in the long run, an avoidance coping response to stress tends to exacerbate anxiety rather than alleviate it. And they give some ideas on how to avoid avoidance coping. I like that the second thing is recognize when you're doing it. Okay. Because, yeah, if I can't recognize that I'm doing something, 
it's really hard for me to change. And I know you're not at step six yet, but I found <laughs> when I'm in step six, which happens not infrequently, my higher power tends to give me lots of examples of the behavior that I want to have changed so that I can become entirely ready to have it removed. And, and sometimes that involves metaphorically hitting me over the head with a big stick to recognize what I'm doing. Yeah. Reminds me of the three A's. Yeah. Uh, the first one being awareness. So become aware. And there's some ideas here about how to become aware. Take a minute to think of situations when you do this. What kind of ways do you, you know, do you procrastinate? Do you avoid discussing problems? Do you avoid facing issues? Yes, yes, and yes. Now I'm going to go away. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of those things. I've talked about a member of my family with whom I have deep political differences. I don't know if I'm being healthy and recognizing that I am not prepared to engage in those conversations and thus removing myself from them, or if I'm doing avoidance coping. That's something I might have to think about. And then it says take small steps. Don't try to change everything all at once. And I think that's something that we also learn in recovery. Easy does it. Easy does it. In God's time, not mine. One moment at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can start to think about how to cope more healthy ways, I guess, is, is the way to put it. What are some other options we have? For me, with this family member, the option that I chose was when we were all together in this small house because we're on vacation was to go for a walk. Oh, I need a walk right now, <laughs> which also gives me time to pause. I really like the learn to tolerate uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to where I am at the moment, understanding that they're not going to take me over like a tidal wave, that I can practice feeling them and, and continue to work in my recovery. Yeah. Have someone to hold you accountable. Like, yeah. oh, example, sponsor. Sponsor. <laughs> Saba, what does your journey look like with avoidance and procrastination and so on? I think my journey is, I think, with the avoidance and procrastination is it all comes, let it begin with me, because I feel like the awareness of when I do it, it's okay to feel my feeling, even if it's uncomfortable and be okay and not being afraid of it. Because I think for me, before the recovery, it was like I couldn't express or identify my own feelings. And I would be like running away from it or go to fear because the judgment of people, I, I have to look all this good. I can't be angry. I can't be tired. I can't be sad. I couldn't identify, but now I realize that I'm the only person accountable and my higher power and then the sponsor in the program that I can be honest about it and say, I don't feel good. And that I don't know. And I shouldn't even, I don't even judge my feeling at, at the time. Yeah, I don't feel good here in my heart. Sometimes it comes to my tummy. I'm learning. I went to also use a lot of technique for mind and body tapping and brain wave vibration is a technique that I learned in Korea to do like meditation and yoga and Tai Chi. And that helps me to bring my anxiety down so I can sit with it. My emotion doesn't dictate my day. Mm. 
and it's part of the wave of the life that is going to go down, but I'm going to come up with it. So it's like a wave. It's not like I'm not going to be drowning in it anymore because it's temporary. And it's like you said, it's teaching me like the sixth and seventh step. I look at my feelings and the sixth and seventh step, which is the defects or the tools that I grew up with it, the negative behavior that I learn as a coping mechanism and is coming, is arising in my body and it's giving me that feeling of the fear or uncomfortableness or yucky feeling, as you call it. And I wanted to run and I want to run because I'm not allowed to have those feelings. But I have to look at it as the wave in the ocean. It goes up and it goes down and it's, it's okay. I'm not drowning. I'm not drowning. I'm having the tools and if something has to change to positive, I look at the, the, my pain is teaching me something today and I'm learning from it. So I have the seven step prayer that I read or six step prayer. I don't know which one is that. God, I love, I like my good and bad. So I will have you to remove the characteristic that it doesn't belong to me and it's making me uncomfortable. And I have the good in me that you put it here so I can tap into positive attribute that you gave it to me. And I, I get my, my validation from my higher power and it's in there. I, all I have to do just access it and do meditation. And this is another tools that I use to get to the emotional pain that I, it's not happy feeling, but it's okay to get to the other side of it. I hope I made sense. Yeah. You talked about tools that you have to help, I don't know, calm maybe yourself to help you feel the feeling without being overwhelmed by it. The other thing that I really loved was the wave because when I think about waves and particularly ocean waves, if I work with the wave, I'm a lot more comfortable in the water than if I'm trying to fight the wave. If I want to not go up and down, that's really hard to not go up and down when the water is doing that. And if I try to fight that, I'm just making myself tired. And if I accept that I'm going up and down, Right now I'm up and then in a little bit I'm down and this is kind of fun. Then I can use my energy for another purpose, which might be swimming towards the shore or it might be whatever the reason I'm out there. So both of those things struck me. Yeah, Spencer, I really like what you said about being okay with going up and down. And it reminds me of like the Allen on glasses that I can change my perception and have gratitude and also be okay with the going up and down. I can make the choice to accept that that's not a bad thing, even though it used to be a scary thing. And another uh, thing that comes up, like my emotion doesn't control me anymore. And I have to say like, I own my emotion. And before mm-hmm. I thought like my emotion owned me. But when I changed my perception and I said, I am in charge of my own existence. Nobody assigned anything. 
And if God is giving me this kind of like Spencer mentioned that the sixth and seventh step, like this or these are the feelings or uncomfortableness is coming to me. So maybe this is my higher power is teaching me to change something in me. But it's okay if I know that I am in charge of my emotions. My emotion doesn't, you know, control me anymore. And I control yeah. my emotions. It's okay to have them. But because I'm human. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to control me. I like that. But you, Kathy, where's your journey taking you? So I talked a lot about the things that I have been avoiding. Let's get into the recovery. I know. (laughs) But there's the good part. So I'm learning to have a balance, to take care of myself, to be a good parent to myself, to have compassion for myself as I stumble and trip and to not have the expectation that I'm going to do it perfectly. There is no perfect in Al-Anon and just be in acceptance of the recovery journey. Recognizing that fear stands for false evidence appearing real. That's, I love that tool. That's something that that I've used since the start of Al-Anon. And it still continues to help me. Like, for example, when I felt that anxiety, when I was reading that email in my original example, it's not what was really happening. I'm okay. I'm safe. I That was just like tied to childhood and tied to previous trauma, but I can have the choice of what to do with that information that my body's sending to me. So anxiety can be ghosts of those old patterns and not a real sign of trouble ahead. I would ring the bell at this point if I had yeah. to. Yeah, that's a big that's a big one for me. And I really love um the idea that anxiety comes from childhood issues and anticipation like worrying about the future is that future tripping stuff. And being aware of if my brain is popping over to one of those two areas and accepting that okay, that's not a healthy place we're going to go back over towards recovery. Keeping my higher power close by and my sponsor close by. It's an also important part of my recovery. And all of that work sometimes takes a little bit of courage. And in my experience, there's a a virtuous cycle there that when I take the courage to dig in and what I find isn't as terrible as it was, and I might find something actually nice and good that, helps reinforce that courage and helps me to dig in more. And for me, that process was not completely linear, right? up and down, but more up than down generally. And it took years. Mm-hmm. I have done a formal fourth step, I think four times, if I'm remembering correctly. I definitely have four written records of doing a fourth step in the almost 20 years I've been in the program. And every time I found new stuff, every time I was able to dig a little bit deeper in some places I couldn't quite excavate when I was there earlier. So I would say if you're listening and you're like, I can't do that. There's no way I could dig in like that. Dig a little bit. And very likely that will let you say the next time, oh, I can dig a little deeper. Yeah. Keep your higher power close by. Yes. What do you have in your tool belt now that is helping you? In my tool belt, I have some concepts. I have the reminder that I have value. 
that I'm definitely worth my own investment of my own time. I define my own self-worth. It doesn't come from anybody else. It used to come outside me. It comes from inside now. And also by making my step work a priority because I have value and because I'm worth the investment of my own time, then that means that I can choose to make my step work a priority. And and actually, when I chose to avoid my four-step for a good year and a half, part of the kind of tension that I was feeling is that I knew that it would be good for me. I saw examples of others in the program that had these realizations from going through their step work and like, I know. Okay. <laughs> I really, <laughs> there's benefit. There's <laughs> it's good for you, but I don't know about me. <laughs> I knew that it was, but it, I just had to get over that hump. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm there now. And I will say to others who are in that place, I can relate. I did the same thing and it's all a journey. I just tried to have compassion for myself as I was working up the courage to continue. Didn't do me any good to pick on myself. I tried to pour a jug of compassion over my head often just to have kindness. That's an interesting image. And also growth comes from stepping out of my comfort zone and be willing to walk towards that fire with courage and faith that I will get through the other side. That unfortunately seems to be true of just about anything, whether it's growth in recovery, whether it's digging in and doing that inventory, or whether it's maybe training to run a 5K. The only way I was able to do that at the age of 62 was by pushing out of my comfort zone, by running a little further than I thought I could, and then the next day feeling it, and then going back and doing it again. (laughs) If I'm spending my time sitting on the couch I'm not growing in any way, even if that is my comfort zone. So yeah, absolutely. Spencer, I was just listening to the Force and Power episode earlier today and what (laughs) you were talking about your 5K. So it's funny that you talked about that. (laughs) Here you are. Here we are after a year of pandemic, a year of cocooning, a year of not getting out there and pushing myself out of my comfort zone physically. And I'm thinking... I would really like to be able to get back to that point where I was three years ago. I'm not going to get there sitting on the couch. It's absolutely true. Saba, you talked earlier about feeling other people's feelings. And I'm wondering what tools, what process, what helped you to be able to recognize your feelings separately from others' feelings? Because I know that was an issue for me. And and I'm I'm always liking to hear how how that changes. I think yeah. Once I recognize that I'm doing this, like for instance, first of all, I had to recognize yeah, I'm owning somebody's feelings, and that my was my codependency mechanism of survival that I felt like. Then the next step was who are those people? that I identify, are they safe people or unsafe people? Usually, even today, after being in Al-Anon for 11 years, I realized that people are people, right? But my awareness of who is safe for me and who's not safe, and I recognize when they're not safe, 
if they make some strong feelings or strong emotion like anger or like they're loud, even loud voices or the facial of somebody who is like angry, it used to bother me. But I recognize that it's on them. And right away, it doesn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that separation of knowing it, that is them. They have a bad day. I don't have to have a bad day. And I just, I, I either use pause, I detach with love, I walk away, and I meditate. And I just, this is like a second that point. And it's still like, Kathy talk about the muscle memory. The muscle memory is there. And even they are not gearing towards me and they're showing the angry gesture in their face or loud voices or something like that shows that emotional wound that I had from childhood or being with the narcissists or alcoholics in my life that it just gives me that buzz like the addicts are or alcoholics that were craving for that another drink or another drug to get high I used to get high when somebody was in need was angry I would run towards them to rescue them Mm. that was my disease and today I know that's a big antenna of my alanon comes. As soon as I feel like that knot in my chest or my tummy, that I have to ha- put, literally, I put my hands on my chest and my tummy and I take a deep breath and thank God I did the ma- mindfulness and I became a master for like body and brain that I learned that to recognize, okay, this is not my feeling. Is it mine or theirs? And I am safe. I keep telling myself I'm safe. I'm not responsible. I use the three C's in Al-Anon. I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. And I can't control it. All I can do, own my own feeling and love myself. Acknowledge myself and say, my body's me. But my emotion doesn't dictate my whole day i'm in charge i'm in charge of my emotion and i have to recognize it and uh, value it and say i'm okay i'm safe and i love myself i hadn't thought of applying the three c's to somebody else's feelings but it's so true it's so true and and i hear boundaries yeah i don't think you said the word but i hear boundaries we're what's mine and what's not mine. That was something, again, that was very unclear to me. Boundaries is a big topic in our program, and I think there's a good reason for that. Identifying if something's, yeah, mine or somebody else's. We've talked a lot about avoiding feelings. We've named a few mostly negative feelings like anger and fear and anxiety. It was important for me as I started to recover, to to be able to name my feelings, to be able to say, oh, that's fear. Oh, I think so. That's serenity. Is that a feeling? I think that's a feeling. Or 
I remember the first time I said to somebody, I am full of joy. What is that? What is joy? Yeah, you've got some feelings here. Let's take a look at them. That's why we list that like this joy is we put it down because for most of us, Alanon, the joy comes the last. And as we recover, yeah, and we said that joy is our birthright. There's anger. You know, anger is the go-to cover-up, right? Kind of the safe yeah. feeling when there's lots of stuff going on underneath that you don't want to recognize and you're avoiding, right? Yeah. yeah. One of the things one of the things that I recognized, I think, is that anger for me is very often a secondary feeling in that it's usually the result of something else. And as you say, that maybe I don't want to feel that other thing, so I feel the anger instead. But can I interrupt something? Yeah. A lot of people, when I think during the pandemic, also, this is like a lot of issue because anger later on, it results to anxiety, depression, and all these things. So we have a healthy anger and anger. That's why we are providing mm. all these feelings to tell people like, it's okay, we are human beings and we have, God give us this feeling to feel anger. Yeah. Because healthy anger leads us to emotional, not emotional maturity. What, what did I say? Emotional intelligence. Yes, emotional intelligence. So if we know how to deal with the healthy anger, actually it's like, wow, I know something has to change in my life. So therefore, why would I am afraid of my anger? Why would I want to run away from this? Because this is God-given feeling. So if somebody is doing unacceptable behavior, and if I'm sitting and ha 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 laughing, that's craziness. So therefore, I have a right to get angry. It means I have to learn to set a boundary, remove myself. Yeah. And it also feeds into a message to me that I need to do something. And just a couple of days ago, I'd gotten my eyes checked after COVID and I was trying to order glasses and realized that there was something wrong with my prescription. So I called the doctor. It was a new doctor that I went to. And the response that I got was like the first time I got hung up on. And then the second time, like the person said something weird and sent me off. It just kept not going well. And I started to get angry. And it's not like I was screaming on the phone or anything, but definitely that shifting from people pleasing and stuffing those feelings to like the anger is telling me I need to resolve this and I need to be assertive so that I can take care of this. And I ended up calling four times. And finally, I got a hold of somebody that could address the issue and it didn't get solved right away, but at least like didn't just roll over and go, okay, I guess call me when you have time. Right. Yes. So I said, anger for me is often secondary. And what that means in recovery is identifying what I'm covering up with the anger. And if it's just anger, like in your case, the doctor didn't do the right thing and they're not responding, then yeah, that's anger that is appropriate. But if I'm angry, and I'll give an example that I think I've talked about before here, but I'm feeling frustrated and like things aren't moving fast enough. I will get angry, which doesn't address the underlying problem. It doesn't address, in the case that I'm thinking of, 
where I just felt somebody was taking too long to explain something and I got angry, which that's not justifiable. Rather than recognizing I'm impatient, but this other person needs to work through their process and their process is not the same as my process. And when I recognize the impatience and what the source of the impatience is, then I can appropriately deal with it. But when it's just coming out as anger, there is no way for me to resolve it. Your next feeling here is disgust. And that's not one that I would have thought to put on a list. So tell me about that. I'll let you speak to this one. (laughs) I didn't like it either. (laughs) Disgust is like similar to the core of anger. And we're beating ourselves up, creating internal guilt and feeling a lot of, you know, so this is like keep beating ourselves for feeling this way. And we are saying it's okay to be discussed and not being, not liking something. Basically, we allow ourselves to say, no, I don't like to do something and not feeling guilty about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now I'm getting it. It's a very familiar feeling. Yes. And then it brings us to sadness and mourning and grief. Grief is a thing that sometimes is hard for me to recognize. I remember several years ago, I was feeling just, to quote the big book, restless, irritable, and discontented. And I finally realized, I finally was able to see, to recognize that what it was is I was grieving a loss of something that I hadn't realized I had lost. It was very hidden. It actually broke loose when I was reading from an Al-Anon book, big surprise there. I was reading from the book, Transforming Our Losses. Yeah, that's a great book. Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses. I was reading from that book. And all of a sudden, this feeling of grief broke loose and washed over me. And I actually sat there just sobbing for a little bit as this feeling came out. And then I was able to look back and see that, yeah, that had been there, but I hadn't recognized it. And it was coming out all kinds of sideways on me. So being able to name that feeling, being able to feel it, then I could say, oh, and now this is what I can do. And I couldn't recognize it. I didn't know what to do. I tried a whole bunch of things and none of them worked. I still felt yucky. So yeah, that's important for me. Yeah, as you said, Spencer, it's a very good um, way because a lot of people are ashamed of saying they're sad or mourning or recognizing even their grief, of grief of being in the situation or losing our youth to all this like chasing to control or change someone else. That sometimes for me still comes back a lot. Like, why did I was chasing people, places and things to change them? And I feel like, oh, my God, I lost half of my life trying to control uncontrollable. And that brings me sadness. And in the past, I was ashamed of saying it. But the tools I learned how to express my sadness is very, very valuable that I can share it in the meeting in the safe places, like the meeting in Alanon, talk it over with my sponsor, writing about it, 
prayer and again meditation to release it basically because I know sadness also is a feeling that is is going to pass and it's not going to take over my life but if I don't deal with it today it's going to be just feeling yuckiness and it's going to be like resentment later on towards myself yeah yeah Kathy you want to add anything so for me sadness and mourning and grief it's important for me to to let myself feel those feelings because I didn't used to do that and process them if I stuff them they're just going to come out stronger later life is a journey and life is in session and we all have our bumps and times where we trip and things that are difficult for me on those things those areas where I've tripped or those difficult pieces, it's really important for my recovery and my health to process those feelings and not try to stuff them or avoid them. Yeah. And then we have fear, which we've all talked about, I think. <laughs> yeah. And tied to the other podcast, and just to note, if people are feeling scared, it's important to identify, is there a reason for me to be scared and am I safe right now? And if the answer is, yes, I'm safe, then move on to step two. If the answer is no, I'm not safe, then that's the most important thing to address first. Sometimes it's not false evidence. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that is an easy thing. I can speak from experience. That is an easy thing to avoid and deny. To say, ah, those feelings, that feeling of fear, it's not really true. I'm fine. It's not really. I'm going to be fine. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We'll go there. But for me now, I am safe. So in the large majority of times, fear really is false evidence appearing real. And I just need to think, okay, is that really going to happen? Am I making up things in my head? Am I future tripping? And I love that saying of courage is fear that said its prayers. So things can still be challenging and difficult, but they're still important for us to work through and walk through. Yeah. I'm going to misquote probably how Elanon works, but it's something like Elanon does not promise that, you know, we'll solve all our problems. I think it's talking about sobriety, but just because I'm in recovery doesn't mean I don't have problems. Doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to me, but I have tools that can help me when I have problems. I have this tool that actually can help with fear of awareness, acceptance, and action. I can become aware of the fear. I can accept that the situation is what it is, even though I don't like it. And then once I have a realistic picture of what what is, I can take some actions. I can hopefully more clearly see what actions will actually help me deal with the problem, with the thing that I'm afraid of. Let's do joy. Should we do joy? So I have a funny story for joy. I felt joy. (laughs) There you go. There's the funny story. Uh, Like about uh, one or two months ago, I had this really light feeling and I haven't had it. I couldn't even remember the last time that I felt like that. It's not like I never had. I mean, I laugh a lot. I have a sense of humor, but it just felt really light and it was joy and I didn't know what to do with it. And I (laughs) <laughs> I, I actually felt weird sharing about it in a meeting, but I decided, because I'm like, well, that decided that doesn't make any sense at all. It's a feeling. Al-Anon is a safe place. 
I need to share it here. But I found myself like it was squirting out of me. You know how we talk about like anger squirting out of me. Like I wasn't, somehow I was not letting it process. And it was coming out in weird ways, like on business calls. I was just, and not anything super inappropriate, but just odd. I was like, where did that come from? Like laughing at weird times or whatever. So, Mm. all right, I need to figure this out. This is not going well. So I shared about it you know, just kind of works through my feeling of joy, (laughs) which sounds hilarious, but it was true for me. Yeah. So the first time that, that I remember after coming into Al-Anon expressing that I was feeling joy and it might not actually be the first time. It's the one, the one that sticks in my mind. I had spent the weekend Friday evening through Sunday morning, locked in a church with about 60 teenagers And I wasn't there all by myself, obviously. There were a lot of other adults there as well, because our safety guidelines require that to be true. And I was talking to a friend, and I had not had a lot of sleep. I'd been sleeping on a couch or maybe on the floor. I don't remember. And my friend said, how are you doing? And I said, I am full of joy. Like this experience of (laughs) spending the weekend in the church with 60 teenagers gave me joy and I was able to recognize it. And I was like, yeah, like this recovery stuff, this is cool because I would not have done that without having been working a program of recovery. I wouldn't even have thought that would be a a thing that I'd want to do, let alone that it would give me joy. So that's my joy story. I think um, joy was for me before was like a destination that I could never reach or was confusion of growing up in the alcoholic family because Mm -hmm. they had from one point a person that she was so angry and then she was drinking. Sometimes she was happy and kissing us and loving us. So again, I was confused. What is joy? Joy is a destination that I can't ever reach it or is it like a phony thing or people would laugh sometimes i was like oh they're so phony these people mm. they're like if i'm all together and i have a sense of humor i that was another tool that i used coping mechanism to not feel my feeling i was cracking jokes in the school and just have fun with it but the actual joy came with for me was step one <laughs> And it was the most difficult part. I don't have to be in charge. Basically, I was free. <laughs> That's the first joy in my life. And now today, little things in my life, whatever I do, I'm not waiting for a huge joy. Anything, if I'm cooking, I'm enjoying it. So I bring the joy to my life. I invite serenity, I invite happiness. And I keep telling myself, even my husband sometimes has said, you know, I did this and da 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 da. And I invite happiness, I invite joy and serenity <laughs> because I wanted to own it. Yeah. Saba, you reminded me there's something I heard something during an Al Anon thing about having the choice to bring joy, making a conscious choice. I choose to have joy in this activity. And I actually say that to myself every day in different things. Like I choose joy when I'm making dinner. I choose joy when I'm 
going to go talk to my daughter or whatever it is. I choose joy walking into this work meeting. And so then it's this conscious choice of flipping the perspective, being grateful, but really bringing in appreciation and joy too. Because it is just putting on a different pair of glasses. Therefore, Al-Anon is joy is so far out of the radars and start. Yeah. You picked a, a song? I did. Yeah. The first song is by Justin Timberlake, and it's called Say Something. And I love this song. It's one of my favorite recovery songs. For me, it's all about using pause. And especially early in my recovery, when my daughter was trying to push my buttons as a teenager, and I was trying very hard not to react, and I was at my wit's end, I would actually turn to her and I would quote the song. (laughs) I would just look at her and say, sometimes the greatest way to say something is to say nothing at all. And then I would just zip it and not say anything else. And she'd just roll her eyes and walk away, but it worked. (laughs) So some of the lyrics are, I don't want to get caught up in the rhythm of it but I can't help myself. No, I can't help myself. Caught up in the middle of it. No, I can't help myself. Caught up in the rhythm of it. Maybe I'm just looking for something I can't have. Maybe I'm looking for something I can't have. Sometimes the greatest way to say something is to say nothing at all. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? The challenging thing for me this week was actually last weekend. My wife and I helped a friend of hers who is a person who's challenging to be with for me. Helped her to get some stuff out of a storage unit in in another city. And it was a hot weekend. I don't know, maybe not hot LA hot, but it was hot Michigan hot. And we're out there in the sun with stuff that's been in this storage unit for years, and it's all dusty and dirty, and we're trying to find the good stuff. We're trying to do, as I put it at one point, we're doing a reverse Marie Kondo. We're trying to find the stuff that gives joy and leave all the other stuff. And we got through it. I think I got through it partly by just using my recovery tools one day at a time, first things first. And there was a whole bunch of things that this friend wanted to take. And we have a limited amount of space in our car. I mean, it's sort of an SUV, but it still doesn't have a lot of space in it. And we kept saying, find the important stuff. Find the stuff that you really need to have. Let's leave the rummage sale stuff for another visit. And then I said, okay, midday Sunday, it's time to start packing the car up so we can drive home. And I just started putting stuff in the car. These are the things that need to go in first because these are the most important things. And these are things that need to go in second. And then the car got full. And the friend was like, so I can't take this thing. I said, no, unless you want to take enough stuff out to put that in. That to me is using my tools. Like I said, first things first. And how important is it? Those slogans were really informative. And we also took some time to have a little bit of fun. This was our first trip out of town in year and a half, over a year. Okay. Except for like me going to visit my parents and going when my father died and that doesn't count. So it was like almost a little vacation. We had a little bit of vacation in there, but also in consequence, I did not get to either of my weekend meetings. And so not only did I have recovery stress, I didn't get the recovery input that might've helped, but I, I did. Okay. I took care of myself. And this weekend, yesterday, actually, was the Michigan area fall assembly where the 
group representatives all get together and we hear reports. Mostly what we heard was what went on at the World Service Conference this year. And there was some interesting stuff in there, but also just a whole lot of people all there because we're in recovery and we're helping to support the work of recovery. And so it was filling. And I also missed my Saturday morning meeting, but it was kind of like a meeting. So anyway, that's what I'm going to report out for my week, I think. Kathy, you want to talk about something from your week? Sure. So this week I led a meeting and I ended up sharing on boundaries and walls. So like protective walls versus boundaries. And that it was a good meeting, interesting discussion, like protective wall, keep me isolated from other people may keep me safe, but it's over overdoing it. And boundaries are more fluid and I can move them and I can have choices and change them as I need to. And one comment that came out of that discussion, someone said that their sponsor says that as they describe things, it, it doesn't have to be a drama. It can be a documentary, which no one on the call had heard that before. Like it doesn't have to be the whole, like he said, she said, da, 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 da. it could just be like, okay, this happened. And just letting go of that drama. Well, Saba, how was your week? My week was good. We went to visit my stepson in Sacramento, and he was one of our qualifier. My husband is in the program, too. I think same thing, 19, 20 years. His son had a new girlfriend, and she looked odd, but they both look odd. <laughs> so for me, I was in acceptance, and I learned a lot about her. And I thank God for the program because I felt, oh my God, my judgment is getting less and less because I was really laughing, communicating with her that my husband said, my God, what were you talking about with her? And I find a lot of similarity rather than differences with her. And that was like huge for me. Thank you. Thank you both. I have no idea what I'm going to do next. Invitations out to some people to come on the podcast and maybe talk about a topic of their choosing, talk about their own story. So we'll see what comes up. Uh, We do welcome your thoughts, your feedback. You can join our conversation by leaving us a voicemail or sending us an email. Kathy, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or email to feedback at the recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of avoidance or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic that you'd like us to talk about, let us know. If you would like advance notice for some of our topics so that you can contribute to that topic, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at the recovery.show. Put email in the subject line to make it easier to spot. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? That would be our website, which I think we've said it enough times, but it's The Recovery, therecovery.show. I don't know what recovery.show, if that's even a thing, but therecovery.show, where we have information about the show, which uh, mostly at this point includes notes for each episode, which have links to the books that we read from, videos for the music we chose, and so on. So it's uh, song number two. Song number two is by Linkin Park. And the song is called Heavy. 
This song reminds me of what it felt like in my head before recovery, avoiding my feelings and just trying to keep it all together. It shows me how far I've come when I think about what it was like when I first came into Al-Anon. I'm happy to say that I have serenity now most of the time, which is incredible. And it really, when I contrast it to how it felt before, there's no comparison. And the thing is that I didn't even understand how my head was so full I was just trying really hard to keep it together. I have chosen to put down those constant videos that used to play in my head of worry and future tripping. And I was constantly coming up with plans like A through Z of everything that could possibly happen and how I would have what my response would be to prepare for all these different things. And that was part of my protection in childhood. And I don't do that anymore, which saves me so much time and effort and energy in my head. Some of the lyrics are, I know I'm not the center of the universe, but you keep spinning around me just the same. I'm holding on. Why is everything so heavy? Holding on to so much more than I can carry. I keep dragging around what's bringing me down. If I just let go, I'd be set free. Thank you. And now it's time for your contributions. Bethany wrote, My recovery songs right now are Running by Emily King and A Healing by Muma Fresh. And then she sends a heart. Thanks, Bethany. I will add those to the playlist for this episode on Spotify, which there will be a link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 362. Nancy writes, I have been listening for three years, and I always hear something I needed to hear. I especially love the interaction between you and Eric, especially using the tools or pocket change of the program like slogans, acronyms, definitions, and much more. Thank you, Spencer, Eric, and all the co-hosts for your willingness to share your lives with us. You are a very important part of my ongoing recovery. Thank you, Nancy. Kelly wrote, Hi, Spencer. I'm Kelly, a grateful ACA a little over one year into the program. The crossover between Al-Anon and ACA made it so this podcast was a great way for me to work through the drinking from a fire hose stage of ACA, which was the part of the program where every day felt like I was receiving so much information but could only retain a bit at a time. The recovery show helped me understand the steps, traditions, slogans, etc. by repetition and by just purely from how much everyone you have on the show has to share. Thank you. I wanted to share some wonderful ACA Al-Anon differences that I was called to share after a few listener call-ins. One is for a caller that said they didn't think addiction was present in their family but knew they related to Al-Anon. ACA is called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, and we read this at our meeting. You may have related to our readings, even if there was no apparent alcoholism or addiction in your home. This is common because dysfunction can occur in a family without the presence of addiction. We welcome you. Secondly, there was a caller who shared the serenity prayer. Higher power, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the one I can, and the wisdom to know that one is me. That is, in fact, the ACA version of the serenity prayer that we use at our meetings. It's a great one. Lastly, I would love it if you did some episodes on the laundry list and the other laundry list and the flip side of the laundry list. These are the 14 traits of adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, as well as an alternate version and the promised version from ACA Recovery. She sent us links to those three things on the adultchildren.org website, so I'll put those in the show notes. She continues, For so long, I did not join Al-Anon because it didn't feel quite right, since I was no longer living with my alcoholic parent and wasn't sure if Al-Anon was meant for me. I was not even able to recognize the severity of the addiction and dysfunction in my family of origin until I was in my 30s. That is because 
The ACA family script of don't ask, don't trust, don't feel deeply affected my ability to move out of denial. I'm so grateful I found ACA when I did and recognized the laundry list traits in myself. The amount of growth and healing I have done in the program is incredible, and I recently completed my first time through the steps with my ACA step group. I would like to thank you for doing an episode on domestic violence and all the people who shared their experiences. I was very moved by this episode and reminded of how far I have come since my divorce six years ago. I was married to an abusive partner who emotionally and sexually abused me for our whole marriage. I was not able to recognize the abuse because it did not match the violence that TV and movies had portrayed. It was pervasive and slow, and I am still filled with shame when I recognize that it too was happening to me, and that I stayed as long as I did. I know I am not alone. I also know my ACA background made it harder for me to recognize the abuse and feel safe leaving. My experience with abuse included slowly isolating myself from friends and family, accepting more and more unacceptable behaviors such as manipulation and coercion where I wasn't able to say no. Attacks on my self-esteem, unreasonable fights that kept me confused and unable to think, feel, or seek help, the questioning of my reality, parenthesis, gaslighting, loss of physical safety, cheating that was blamed on me, etc. I was in therapy for all these years, but even that didn't help me recognize it because my reality was so distorted by my abuser. When I finally left, I was a shell of the person I know now, and it took me years to feel like myself again. But almost instantly after I walked out the door, my higher power took care of me and people, situations, and life began to bloom in my life again after many years of lying dormant. Now I will say that I am in recovery and recognizing that I have choices about who I let stay in my life, who I want to be, and how to accept real love, not just fear of abandonment and anxiety disguised as love. I hope my sharing this gives someone the courage to seek help if they think maybe they're in an abusive relationship, even if they're not 100% sure yet. Thank you to the previous caller that shared the safest ways to leave abuse. My abuse increased and worsened as I became ready to leave, which I now know is common. Here are some links I found helpful in case someone else is experiencing sexual coercion or abuse and wants resources on how to leave safely. My abuse was very difficult to recognize while I was experiencing it. Please access these resources in a safe place and clear your browser afterwards. And again, three links here, one titled, What is Sexual Coercion?, one titled, What is Sexual Abuse?, and one titled, I'm Ready to Leave, Now What?, and I will put those links in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 362. Kelly ends, Thank you, Spencer, for allowing people to share their experiences, strength, and hope on your podcast. I'm so grateful to you and your recovery and everyone who has taken the time to share their story. Be well. Kelly, this is Spencer now. <laughs> I am grateful to you and to everyone who has taken the time to share their story. Thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing that experience, which I could not. And that's why I need people like you to contribute your voices to this podcast. Noel has a topic idea. Good morning. In a recent meeting, I heard the word choiceless. I would love an episode that talks about empowerment versus choiceless. Thanks. Noel. I know we did an episode number 164 on choices, so that might be a place to start. It's not quite the same as choiceless, I'm sure. So that's an interesting topic idea. Thanks. Elizabeth left us a voice memo about finding a sponsor during the pandemic. Hi, Spencer. This is Elizabeth calling from France. I have been listening to the podcast every day and having it in my car, and it's been such a source of 
of peace and wisdom. And I find it really inspiring and soothing all at the same time. What I noticed a lot was a lot of people who started during the pandemic and now and on, the newcomers, just as myself, have been really worried about finding a sponsor during this time, which has been super hard, super impossible. I just wanted to share that for me, I joined a Zoom group, I guess it was around October. It was a great group, an amazing group. It was just one of those moments where you find the right people at the right time. They reach out, they give you hope. It was probably the moment that I needed to really get serious about, do I want to change or no? Within a couple of weeks of going twice a week, to the Zoom meetings. And here in France, we were in a full lockdown, which meant everything was closed. We weren't supposed to go out unless uh, we had a reason. So it was kind of a different headspace because we had the summer off. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> I'm going to these Zoom meetings and they are just full of all these different perspectives. There were so many people from all around the United States. And I was the only one who was out of the States at the time in France. <laughs> a little information about that is that I live in the South of France on the West side where there aren't a lot of big cities. The biggest one is probably Bordeaux, which is three hours away from me. The next biggest is a city called Biarritz in Bayonne. And those are an hour away. And that's where those Al-Anon meetings are. They're only once a week. And at seven o'clock at night. So for me to travel out, especially during the winter, it's dark. It's not very well lit. I live in the countryside and in the mountains. So it's not like the safest thing to decide to do. So I decided, okay, I'm going to just put all of my energy toward the Zoom group. Within a couple of weeks, as I was saying, I connected with about two or three other women who were in the same space as me, that they had just come along, had found Zoom, had never done the program, were looking for a sponsor, and we brought that up at one of the meetings. And some of the longtime members mentioned and said, this is unprecedented, and maybe in these kind of circumstances, you can be each other's sponsors if that's something that would be interesting to you. And we thought about it and we shared contact information and we started working our steps together. And it was so special because not only did I have a Zoom meeting twice a week, I had this other meeting with our group of newcomers working our steps together, supporting each other. And after we did the first two, we started to ask some of the other more experienced Al-Anon members in the Zoom group for advice on what do we do next? Should we try to get a sponsor? Can one of you help us with what we should be doing next? And we've all been able to find not necessarily a sponsor, but someone within our Zoom group that has been holding our hands and helping us to work things 
separately and then come together and work together as a group. So I don't know if that helps anybody who's out there not sure what to do, if they can find a sponsor. I know things are starting to open up in the States and that more meetings are happening in person. So that's always easier to ask. Another thing that I started doing with a lot of the members is being a pen pal, writing emails to each other, which is great. I never expected getting to make these friends that are like (laughs) when I was young teenager, I'd have my friends who lived in another country and I'd write to them. And it's just fun to have that sense of, of, I don't know, intimacy, I guess is the, the right word to explain it, that you spend time writing the letter. You're not sitting around waiting for a text to be replied to. It just comes when it comes and it always comes at the right time. So those were some of the things that I've been putting into action to deal with not feeling lonely not feeling separated since I am living abroad and still being able to work my program. I guess that's a little bit about an international feel as well. (laughs) I just wanted to share that with you. I am enjoying your podcast so much. It's just a wonderful way to start the day every day. And thank you so much to the whole team that's putting these things together because I know you're helping lots of people you're helping someone in, in another country, in uh, Europe, and I'm sure there's lots of others who are, are feeling your love and your commitment to sharing all of the amazing things and people who contribute every single show. So I hope everyone has a wonderful day today, and thank you for letting me share. And she continues in her email, Now that groups are going back to in-person meetings, my local chapter based in Oregon has decided that because they have gained so many new people from all over the country and the world, they are going to keep doing the Zoom meetings. And they added a third meeting during the week for the locals to have their in-person. I feel so lucky to have found this group. I would never have heard about your podcast and be able to continue this amazing journey. Last year feels so far away. I feel my growth so profoundly. Thank you for letting me share today. Elizabeth in France. Thanks, Elizabeth. Jody writes, Hi, Spencer. I've been listening to the Recovery Show podcast since I rediscovered Al-Anon this year. It has been a tremendous tool in my recovery in addition to secular online meetings. Do you have an archive of the blog with meditations mentioned in the early episodes? I realize you are no longer updating it, but I wonder if it is possible to access the previously published blog and meditations. Thank you for your service. Jody. And absolutely everything that we've ever posted is still there on the website, including all of the meditations from mostly 2013, so it's a while ago. They may not be so easy to find. If you search for a topic or a keyword using the search box, if you're on a computer, if you're on a mobile device, tap search in the menu at the top, and that will take you to a page where you can type in search terms. If we had a meditation that mentioned one of those terms, it will pop up in the search results. Also, I will put a link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 362 to the full list of meditations. It's still not super convenient to browse, but at least you can get straight to them. Sally shares a recovery experience. Hi, Spencer. This is Sally from Atlanta. I just wanted to have a quick share with you about an experience that I had yesterday while listening to your show. I was driving home and reflecting on an argument with my alcoholic spouse and my 13-year-old daughter from the day before. My spouse had been doing 
his nightly routine of drinking in the basement. And he came upstairs and jumped into the middle of an argument that my daughter and I were unfortunately having. And it was like he threw kerosene on a little fire. When I asked him not to get involved in the middle, he was, you know, his teeth clenched said he was about to finish it. So it was uh, pretty emotional and pretty charged. My daughter added afterwards that I was always picking on dad. And I think I sort of froze. I thought about was I really picking on her dad? And was it foolish for me to think that I had to be anything but gentle and and neutral? And it really affected me. And the next day I was coming home from work and thought about my higher power and I felt pretty lost and misunderstood. I wondered if I was the bad guy for like the millionth time. I am the one that's raising the kids. And I don't have the life habits that my husband has. I'm the one cleaning and doing homework. And and just instantly, I just felt like this martyr, the same old martyr feeling coming in. And I knew from listening to your podcast that if I'm angry, I need help. And I knew what I had to do. So I set a prayer in the car for my higher power just to come into my life so that I could feel that spiritual presence. And I think it was a great thing. I stopped and prayed instead of letting my anger swirl around and rob me of any peace and joy, which is what a couple of years ago, I just would have swirled around angry at everything for days. And then I said, hey, Siri, turn on a podcast. And the podcast episode 313 came on and it was you and Eric. And it was perfect. Eric (laughs) was just what the doctor ordered. I asked for it, and I got it. Eric spoke of H-A-L-T and, I think, hungry, angry. I don't know what the L means now. But the halt and calm came from Eric and pausing to respond. So I felt like I uh, wasn't heard during the argument. But because of the podcast, again, 313, I asked myself, was I listening to them and listening uh, without responding or simply responding with, you might be right, is a lesson that I think I need to learn over and over again. It still feels a little false to me, but I am beginning to, to see the great wisdom of slowing my reaction down and removing myself when I feel like I must protect myself or I'm just too emotional. If I'm emotional, I'm going to physically go someplace else. So I'm learning to get out of the blame game and finding a bigger peace if only for myself. Anyway, again, Sally from Atlanta, thank you for all you do. You and your team have been a terrific help in my recovery. Thanks again, Eric. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sally. Lauren writes, thanks so much, Spencer. I was just listening to your Best of Relapse episode. I know you get this feedback all the time, but your show has truly been my saving grace through extremely tough times. I live in rural Iowa and have very young children and very little in the way of social support. So while my husband has been slowly getting sicker and crazier with alcoholism and severe PTSD, I have been clinging to my Zoom meetings and this podcast as a lifeline. Thank you. It truly works if you work it. And I'm so grateful for the leap of faith and the total insanity I was living that has kept me taking one step at a time, especially with this new relapse. Thanks for writing, Lauren. And uh, as we say, keep coming back, especially to meetings. Pat left us a voicemail about sympathy, empathy, and compassion. A little bit too late for the episode, but here it is. 
Hi, Spencer. This is Pat from the West Coast. Jay, I hope this isn't too late for your current recording on sympathy, empathy, and compassion. I'm just finally biting the bullet and calling in because I'm falling down on the perfectionist side of things and wanting to say everything perfectly. Everybody else always sounds so eloquent when they call into the show, and I'm not that person. So at any rate, sympathy and empathy is a really interesting question because when I was in school, sympathy was a bad thing. You weren't supposed to be sympathetic to somebody. You're supposed to be empathetic. You're supposed to feel what they were feeling. And I say it like that only because there's this judgment that went with it. And as I think about it for the recovery show, I'm thinking, wow, after my years in the program, I think empathy, for me to say that I'm empathetic and I feel what you're feeling, seems like a fair amount of hubris. It seems pretty presumptuous of me to say that I actually feel what you're feeling. I don't know you enough. That kind of falls down on the side of what we do with everything else, which is I don't know what the right thing is for you. You need your own higher power, and I need to honor you and give you the respect of making those decisions for yourself. So sympathy, actually, for me these days, seems like a better approach in that I can sympathize with you. I can understand that another person might be having a really hard time given their circumstances, but I don't necessarily know what they're feeling, and I don't think I can presume to say, oh, I feel what you're feeling. And compassion for me, this is just my own definition, of course, is this middle ground between sympathy and empathy, and it allows me to say, gosh, I can finally see that this other person might be having a rough go of it and might be having a hard time. And it's, to me, representative and an important aspect of attitude. You know, in our opening, we say, we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. A big part of that changed attitude, and in fact, a big aha for me recently was having compassion. It's getting out of the it's all about me mode. It's having and understanding that when my partner or other people in my life snap or react negatively or they're being reactive or whatever they're doing, that it's understanding that they might be having a rough time, that I'm not the only one in the world having that hard time. And for me, compassion is that sense of getting out of myself and looking at another person and saying, gosh, they are being human. They're experiencing some of the same challenges or similar challenges to what I'm experiencing. And so what that's really helped me with in my recovery is being much less reactive. So much of being reactive and responding, knee-jerk, anger, defensiveness, judgment, all these really things that aren't the things that I want to be are related to having this attitude of it's all about me. Ultimately, it comes down to this remarkably selfish, self-centered approach to life of it's all about me. And whatever's going on with you, however it affects me, it's me. And so compassion and sympathy 
help me get past that. And then as far as the other members of our community go, again, what it's helped me to do, and I remember this early in my times in the room, somebody would be talking and I'd just think, ah, mah, 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 you know, like the adults in Charlie Brown. And as I began to listen more, understand the individuals and open myself up to their sharing what their experiences were in life instead of reacting inside my head with, again, judgment, then I could go, oh, okay, wow. And then I started hearing some really amazing things from people that really turned me off to begin with. That's one of the things I love about the in-person meetings is the broad range of exposure to different people. And, I mean, Zoom meetings do the same thing. But going to meetings do that. And that also, when I know I only have one time to share, I'm not sitting there thinking about all my crosstalk for everybody else. I can be open and listen and much more receptive. So there's my imperfect answer to your questions. And thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share. Bye-bye. Thanks, Pat. And we have two shares from Alina. One is about the episode titled, Do You Drink? And one about fathers. Hi, my name's Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 112. The topic was, do you drink? Some of the overview was like, do you drink with your alcoholic loved ones? And how has recovery changed how you drink and how you think about drinking? I I can remember, I guess, drinking at a young age. And it always never really intrigued me. Like in high school, I didn't really have peer pressure or anything. But I remember going to parties and friends would be drinking. And it just didn't look appealing to me in any way ever. But I don't know if that had to do with my dad being an alcoholic and me trying to be like the good girl and study, get good grades, do the right thing, don't get in trouble. Everything had to be perfect. And my parents got divorced when I was 12. Maybe a year before that, they separated and me and my sister, I have a younger sister, four and a half years younger. It was just my mom and me and her and my grandparents basically in and out. We did get visitation with my dad, but it wasn't very often. Now that I look back on it, I don't really remember a whole lot of the visitation. I just remember, I don't know, just being nervous around him when he would drink. And so I don't know if that affected me through high school, junior high, just seeing kids do stuff. And I didn't judge them like it wasn't like, oh, they're going to get in trouble. They're bad. It just wasn't something that I was interested in. And then, like I said, I did drink through college. It would be occasional. And my husband or fiance at the time, we would have parties and invite people over and people would be drinking. And I'd have a drink here and there. And I don't know, anything to make it taste good was always a thing for me, like a fruity drink or something like that. Otherwise, I just didn't really like the effect. I don't like being out of my comfort zone or not in control of myself or my decisions or my actions. And so maybe that had something to do with it too. As far as when I came into Al-Anon, because of my one of my qualifiers who was not a drinker, but was into other drugs. And I guess we made a pact together when he got clean. I didn't really want to drink and I did feel weird drinking around him. Like I think I only drank around him one time earlier in our relationship 
and it just felt weird. But after that, I haven't drank since. And to me, it's like not a big deal to give that up, but I just felt that I don't know. I, I just wanted to, I guess. I felt we were making a pact together and I know that there's been relapse on his end and I really haven't craved or desired a drink. My husband, who's my other qualifier, respects that because it was hard for him to understand that in the beginning. Like, why are you not drinking? And it's just a social thing and you can relax and it just wasn't in it for me. So this topic was really interesting because I always wondered if other people thought the same thing or how they dealt with this kind of thing with their qualifiers or people in their relationship. Did they feel uncomfortable? I guess for me, it was just like a way to support. But like I said, I, I really didn't have a desire to drink beforehand. I don't know. That's all I have to share. But thank you for letting me share. And I appreciate the topic. I just wanted to share on episode 117. It was about fathers. And um, I think it was like a Father's Day episode. I guess I wanted to share about my father, my biological dad. He was the first and the primary alcoholic in my life. He's no longer alive. He actually died on Father's Day. It was probably about 12 or 13 years ago. I guess growing up, I never realized that being the daughter of an alcoholic that I had characteristics that were because of that. My parents were married up until I was eight years old and then they divorced and I had a on and off visitation relationship with my dad up until I was 12. And then after that, even though we lived in the same city, we never saw each other. I have a younger sister also that's four and a half, half years younger. We basically had, you know, no relationship after that. He remarried and had two other kids and continued to have a drinking problem and it was pretty bad. Definitely the definition in my mind when I think of an alcoholic is I would always thought of my dad. He would basically go to work intoxicated, come home and be intoxicated. I remember there were times where he was really bad, passing out and stuff like that. And it was scary. And there was a lot of fear on my part growing up. I don't know. I was always nervous and scared around him. So the fact when they got a divorce and the visitation became basically nothing, it really didn't bother me. I was almost like out of sight, out of mind type of thing. My mom ended up remarrying when I was 16 to my stepdad. And he actually became the father figure in my life. In addition to my grandfather who stepped in, him and my grandmother stepped in when my mom got divorced and helped out and did a lot of babysitting and homeworks and running us around and stuff like that because my mom also worked. So when she did get remarried, it was a little bit difficult because we hadn't had really a person in our life like that for basically eight years. It was just the three of us. And those years were like our primary growing years. When he came into our life, it wasn't easy right away, but we did like him. I guess once they ended up getting married, we grew a relationship with him and realized what exactly we could trust in, in another person. I know that I grew really close to him and I would say probably six years after they were married, he developed cancer and ended up ending his own life because he was pretty sick and he was suffering. That was really like a difficult time for me. And I 
had a lot of hurt. And normally I think I, anybody would, but I, there was just something even more that I just couldn't describe. I felt bad for my mother. Here I was going into college and uh, trying to start my life, but now my mom's by herself and I have to help take care of her. So it was just like reliving old things all over again, because I feel like now looking back, I probably did have grief and had a lot of grieving with my biological dad growing up because he wasn't there. But anyways, as far as my biological dad goes, I would say I saw him one other time. And that was my wedding day. When I was 23, he showed up with his family, even though he didn't RSVP and we didn't know he was coming, we did send an invite and he never responded. He showed up and was respectful and basically just wanted to see me. And I think he showed up for 15 minutes, said hello to everybody, wished me well. I want to say it was very bittersweet, I guess. He knew his place and he didn't stay and he just wanted to show his support and presence there at the wedding. Other than that, that's my relationship as far as my dad goes. And all these years, I had a lot of resentment and anger and hurt and a lot of emotions. But after coming into the program for other reasons, not related to that and understanding my place as far as being a daughter of an alcoholic, I've learned to forgive him and accept it. And it's brought me a lot of peace. I don't have any ill will towards him. I understand the disease a little bit more. And I know that's what it was. I only wish that I had known sooner because maybe I would have done things a little differently, but I feel like it's God's will and things worked out the way they were supposed to. I'm just glad I came to the realization of that before I became any older, if I felt that pain my whole life. So I'm glad I, I, you know, came to that realization. That's all I have to share, but I really like this Father's Day episode. I thought it was really good. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Alina. After we finished recording with Kathy and Saba, Kathy sent me an email with a third song. She says, listening to music tonight, I came across this song and I wanted to share it as an option for the third song. I have let go of the outcome. Well, here it is. The outcome is the one you suggested, Kathy. The band is Alabama Shakes. The song is This Feeling. She sent some lyrics, and I'm going to pull out what looks like maybe chorus. So please don't take my feelings I have found at last. So please don't take my feelings I have found at last. Which is a nice coda to the end of our conversation where we talked about some of the feelings that we're feeling now. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.